Hello, I'm Amber Lauva and welcome to another episode of the Fashion Avenue podcast. I created this podcast in late 2018 because I just love fashion and beauty, to be completely honest with you. And I love chatting to people who are completely immersed in the industry. Today, I'm chatting to fashion and celebrity stylist Denny Todorovic, who you may know as Styled by Denny on Instagram. Having previously done the magazine internship rounds in London and being the former fashion editor of Cosmopolitan Australia, it's safe to say Denny has done a whole lot in the industry. In this episode, we talk about Denny's career journey, including something he asked Stella McCartney to her face, but also make sure you hang around for when I give Denny full control of the podcast where he shares 12 Christmas and New Year's styling tips you need to get around. Denny, thank you so much for joining me on the Fashion Avenue podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. It's been a little while in the making. It has. But we're finally here. We are, but <laughs> We made it finally. We made it. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. No one really asks me a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love to know. You're oh. doing well. You sound great. You always, I must say, one thing I love so much about this your podcast is that you can hear like the joy in your voice always. You sound like you have great energy. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. No I really stress. appreciate that. Thank no you. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun doing this. Yes. So, and I get to yes. talk to talented people like yourself. So oh. it's very exciting for me as well. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. So I want to kind of go back to the very, very beginning. Um, yep. So did you grow up in Geelong? Is I that did. Right? Oh, okay. I grew up in, in G-Town, Victoria, which is where I'm actually talking to you right now. Oh. Um, because I moved back about a year ago, um, yeah. after a pretty sort of challenging and sort of life-changing moment in my career and life. So, yeah, Geelong Amazing. boy through and through, yeah. Great. Repping that Geelong. Yeah. <laughs> and what was that like for you when growing up, I guess, there? And how was high school for you? Yeah, so, I mean... Look, growing up in Geelong as a town is amazing. Geelong has Geelong is actually the second biggest city in Victoria, but it has a very small town feel to it. So mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows everyone. Um, I'm um, Serbian, so growing up in a sort of largely ethnic community, everyone knows everyone even more so. Mm-hmm. There's like no no degrees of separation. Um, but it was definitely challenging, and high school especially was challenging. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the movie Mean Girls. Yes. So I was I was the boy, I was the gay boy who sang at the talent quest and had people hell abuse at him. Oh, and, um, no. Yeah, totally. And I was the boy who, like, so I did performing arts my whole life. So performing arts was a huge part of my life. So I was always in the school productions, always dancing. Mm-hmm. And then also the only boy in the whole school who did fashion. Wow. Um, I did textiles and art and all of that. So I was a pretty easy target. But I will say I was pretty, um, pretty tough skinned about it. I never let it sort of dull my sparkle. And I just kept shining brighter and gayer than ever. So <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where for like every you know every word of abuse from a bully I just kind of took it in my stride and just kept on going honey that's amazing because I yeah. guess you know bullying today it's just horrific you know so many oh, so many kids are taking their own lives and it's just so horrible yeah, but sorry. it's so amazing that you didn't let it get to you and you know you kind of believed in yourself as well which is fantastic it was yeah it was definitely it's a, it's a huge part of who I am and I actually went back to my school recently Geelong High School um and spoke at are you okay day oh, um, wow. at their assembly yeah and I did this 30 minute speech on bullying um rising above it and sort of um tolerance and the ability to just kind of get on with it and it was easily actually one of the probably greatest things I've done to date personally because it was just so lovely to see a room full of a thousand students 
mm. who were so moved um, by sort of my own experiences and could resonate with my own experiences. So yeah, it's one. It's something that's very close to my heart. That's so lovely. I think that's also just so great. I think you know, young kids they're so impressionable, and it's yeah. so lovely because I think a lot of the time, you know, when you're young, you're a teenager, you're not really going to listen to a lot of the people that are way you're way not. older than you. But for yeah, someone who not. is a little bit, you know a bit younger, was in their shoes once, they can relate to you rather than, you know, maybe their mum and dad or their teachers or something along those lines. Yeah, Yeah, great. great. And can Mm -hmm. I also ask, so when did you realise that you wanted to get into fashion? Obviously, you were kind of interested in it from an early age, but I guess when did you see that kind of as a career um, prospect for you? Yeah, I mean, it started very young. I grew up with three cousins who were dressmakers. So probably from the age, yeah, so probably from the age of like five, um, I was always in there sewing um, they have like a, a shed basically in their backyard where mm-hmm. they did all of their sewing and pattern making. So they were, I guess, contracted by, um, you know, like uh, brands to sew um, patterns and like samples for them. Okay. So I was always in their cutting room watching them cut fabrics, make patterns. And I, I, from a very early age, I could see that if you had an idea, if you could translate that idea into a pattern, and then if you had fabric and a sewing machine and someone who could facilitate that whole process, you can make clothes. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So I would just sit and watch. And then I started to sketch little outfits for them to make for my dolls and they did and then the older I got I started to get them to make outfits for me mm-hmm. um, and then when I was nine I think my mum bought me a sewing machine and I learned how to sew myself wow. so it was always a huge part of my soul I guess but it wasn't until high school that I really realized that it could be a job um, right. so I was actually going to be a hairdresser because I just figured it was the thing to do because I was really into aesthetics and the way that things look and beauty so I was going to be a hairdresser and I enrolled for a course at um, our local TAFE here and on the course list there was a hairdressing course and a fashion it was actually clothing design and production was the name of the course and mm. I applied for both um, and I didn't get into the hairdressing one but I got into the fashion one so I was like oh okay cool oh. and when when I started that course, I started to sort of put all the pieces of the puzzle together and I was like, wow, okay, this is actually a viable career. Like working in fashion is something that I can actually do and um, earn a living for. And I remember actually from a very early age, I think I was maybe 12, I watched a documentary on SBS um, about John Galliano right. and his um, role as a creative director at Dior. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, you can actually do this for a living and um, you can sort of express yourself on a daily basis. And I was hooked after watching that documentary. I was like, that's what I want to do. Oh, I love <laughs> um, that. So fashion design was actually what I studied and what I wanted to pursue. Wow. Yeah. So so what kind of happened then? Did you kind of, uh, I guess, do that for a little bit and then went into styling? How did you kind of then go no, into styling? No, it was, I must say, my whole career has just basically been a, a string of events that have um, happened sort of by chance or by fate. I'm a huge believer in the universe. So mm-hmm. I don't think really anything happens by accident. So it was kind of just a bunch of series of events that led me to styling. So when I graduated um, high school, I actually did my fashion course simultaneously whilst being at high school. And I was going to go to uni, but I just didn't like the idea of being trapped in a classroom for four years. So I found a a summer course um, on fashion, sorry, in Paris. And I'd always Mm. wanted to go to Paris. So I was like, where better to study fashion than in the birthplace of fashion? So at 18, I went and studied um, in Paris. And it was a, a really amazing summer course, which was all encompassing in that all the courses were based around the various facets of fashion that you could work in. So there was a marketing class, there was design, there was history, there was public relations, there was it was there was a lot. So yeah. I was like, oh wow, there's so much more than that you can do um, than just be a designer. So then when I came home, my first real job was actually a buyer's assistant and product developer at Maya. 
Um, ah. In the menswear department, yeah. So I got to learn, I guess, the retail side of the fashion industry and, um, you know, what it looks like to buy like hundreds of thousands of dollars of stock for the biggest department store in Australia. Yeah. So that was fundamental in teaching me, um, I guess, the nuts and bolts of fashion. Yeah. And then after about a year, I just realized that spreadsheets were not really my vibe. Um, <laughs> I feel, yeah. Is, yeah, that is the bulk of buying. Um, <laughs> and at the time, I had an opportunity to move to London. So. Wow. My buyer actually said to me, pack a suitcase and move to London. Like, don't be stupid. So I did. Um, and I went to London with every intention to get a internship with like Vivian Westwood. And I sent out my CV to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, I remember actually, I crashed a party once at the, at the, Stella, <laughs> at the Stella McCartney store and asked Stella McCartney for a job. What? And she was so, yeah, and she was so nice. And she told me to sent her assistant her CV, my CV. I never heard from her, but like, I was just very eager to just get my foot in the door. Anyway, oh whilst, yeah. So whilst this was happening, um, a friend of mine, I worked in retail at the time, which I always suggest every person that works in fashion should do at some point in their life because it's incredibly important. So I was working in retail um, at Diesel and my girlfriend had, uh, her sister was a PR, uh, she worked in PR. And I didn't even know what PR really was. Like I knew, I, I knew of it, what I knew from watching Lauren Conrad and the girls on the hills. Yes. Oh my God. The hills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, public relations. I could do that. Samantha Jones, publicist. I yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So they were like, um, we need an intern for 10 days for London Fashion Week. Do you want to come? And I was like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yes, please. So I went and interned with them for 10 days and it was incredible because it taught me a whole new side of fashion. Um, um, what PR looks like, what PR even means, um, how you represent a client, how you um, set up a fashion show, blah, blah, blah. Wow. So I was supposed to stay for 10 days, but I did it for three months. And then following that, I got a job in PR at another agency. So I worked in PR and marketing for a year. But during that time, I started to meet lots of celebrities and I and I started to work with lots of stylists as a publicist. So I was like, oh, this is how this works. Um, mm. At the same time, the Rachel Zoe project had just started and mm. I, my life changed because of that TV show. I remember sitting on my couch watching it and crying because I was like, that's what I want to do. Oh. <laughs> kind of crazy. Because I guess even as a design student, I used to always design clothes. I used to design outfits. So designers by nature normally design pieces, but I would right. always design an outfit from head to toe. I knew what the earrings look like, what the shoes look like. So I was like, oh, I've actually been styling without even realizing it all throughout design school. So yeah. when I was in PR, I met loads of celebrities and I sort of decided to say to them, oh, you know, if you ever need help with putting a look together for a red carpet event, like give me a shout. And they started shouting. So I was like, okay, cool. And then I said to my director one time, um, what do I charge these people? How does this work? And she said, Denny, if you want to be a stylist, why are you wasting your time in PR? Like, let's get you out of PR and get you into styling. And I have always been an absolute obsessive of magazines so and I always wanted to work at a magazine mm-hmm. so they, they basically said well let's do it like so I, I uh, emailed a bunch of magazines that I loved in the UK and then I got my first internship like two weeks later I'm at InStyle UK Wow! and that was really the beginning so I was at InStyle for like six weeks and then following that I was at Cosmo UK um, and then that's where my love affair with Cosmo started and mm-hmm. I was there for about nine weeks and then I got an internship at British Vogue which changed my life and wow I don't know how much time we have but that story the way that happened in itself was just a pure chance of like the stars aligning 
Um, I Yeah, so I was at a fashion show in London and I was walking out of a show in kind of people traffic and I turned to my right and I saw Alexandra Schulman, who at the time was the editor of British Vogue. And mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, Denny, you are never going to meet this woman again. Introduce yourself. What have you got to lose? So I just, and she's a very cold kind of person. Very wow. British. So I said, I just said to her, Alex, would you, can I have a moment of your time, please? And she just stopped. She didn't say anything, but she stopped. And I was like, I bought my first issue of Vogue when I was 11, which is true. Um, I've read your magazine religiously for, you know, the better half of a decade. How do I get an internship there? I am from Australia and it would just be, you know, a dream come true. So she said, email my my deputy and let's see what we can do. Like we oh have an internship God. program. Yeah. So I, got, I went home, I emailed the deputy. Two days later, they said, come in for an interview. I get to the interview and she said to me, listen, our internships book up a year in advance, but luckily for you, the March intern has been in a car accident and she's broken <gasps> her leg. So do you want to fill her spot? <laughs> what? Well, <laughs> lucky for you, the intern's Literally. broken a leg. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you're looking down at me. I was like, yes, I can do it. And then I was there like the next day. So, Holy crap. That sounds I like know. something out of the Devil Wears Prada. Literally. Like, you know how Literally. she can't go to Paris or something? Yes. Because <laughs> yes. yes. she had an accident or something. Yeah. So, oh. I mean, I don't know who that intern is, but like I owe her so much because her <laughs> Thank you for breaking your leg. Yeah, thanks for breaking your leg. <laughs> Hope you're okay um, now. Yeah, so I love you. Yeah, no, her <laughs> loss was totally my gain and I learned so much being at British Vogue, it was like, I mean, they're the best. It was incredible. Yes. Um, yeah. And then when I was there following my internship, they were like, we wish we could offer you a job, but there are no jobs here. So they actually put me forward for a job at Burberry Styling in-house. Wow. Um, yeah. So then I got a job at Burberry and I worked Holy there for about moly. four months. Yeah. And then I came home because okay. my visa expired. Yeah. Right. And so can I ask, while you were doing these internships over yeah. in London, how were you, I guess, sustaining a living? How Were you yeah. working in retail at the time or were, were these paid internships or? Let me tell you, honey, they were absolutely not paid. Um, mm-hmm. actually, actually, Vogue gave me a 50 pound allowance weekly for food. Wow. Um, that, was, that was the only one they ever paid, that I ever got paid for. Mm-hmm. Um. But I worked in a, um, a call center at night. So I pretty much worked from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. every night. Wow. But even then, I was very sort of strategic about what my night job would be. So I worked in a call center, but I worked in a call center for Netta Porter. So I was still involved in fashion. I was ah. learning about customer service of like a luxury online retailer. So yeah. it was a very beautiful um, kind of existence. Mm. It was tricky. It was like, you know, you're up at 5 a.m. and then you're at the office because I'm a big believer in when you intern, you should be the first person to be there and the last person to leave and you don't take a very long lunch break and mm-hmm. you know blah 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 so it was really bloody hard if I can say that but yeah. it was it was worth it it was worth every penny and I've, I've been lucky in that I've always had really really supportive parents so there were many emergency phone calls to my mother <laughs> <laughs> mum I need 20 pounds for lunch. <laughs> please send it over yeah, yeah. that's so funny and yeah. how long were you um, overseas for collectively so I was in London for two years and Paris for a summer so wow. three Okay, yep. Yeah. A decent amount of time. A decent amount of time, yeah. Enough um, to kind of, yeah, dip your toes into different things and kind of get totally. those connections as well, which are always yeah. great to have, especially when yeah. you're young and you're wanting to get your foot in the door. I'm a very strong believer in interning. You know, I was interning in uni from, you know, as soon as I started uni pretty much. Like yeah. I just was like, I need to intern right now. I need to, you know, make a make an impression on some people. Uh, so, it's the only way. And if I advocate for it all the time. I would love mm. to write a thesis on, you know, how to be an intern and the etiquette 100%. of interning and all that. But it's, it's so important and it kind of, it led me to the rest of my career in Australia. 
Australia, which was Yes, you know, which yeah. I'm very excited to chat to you about. Yeah. So obviously, can I also ask, um, I guess coming coming back to Australia, mm-hmm. what skills did you develop overseas that you brought back with you? So many. I mean, from the very at the very core of it, it's about survival if I can say Mm. in the UK they work hard they work they're out in the office till 9 p.m so I learned I I built a very strong work ethic while I was in the UK Mm -hmm. I learned about um I always say that working in fashion is 80% psychology and 20% fashion so I learned about working with people you know how how do you behave in front of your editor how do you behave in front of your colleagues like how do you build those relationships how do you build relationships with um with press and media or on the other side when you're a stylist how are you building relationships with your clients? So I learned so much about people and like people management and like, you know, interacting with people because that's what we all do regardless of what our job is. Um, mm. I also learned a lot about truly about fashion and the way that fashion works on a global scale. When you're working at Burberry, you know, and you're shooting Cara Del- Delevingne for a campaign, it's like that's you don't have those opportunities in Australia, which is why I always say go overseas, work for two years, come back, you'll be instantly more hireable. Everyone Mm. just respects you in a different way because unfortunately in Australia, we have this really stupid tall poppy syndrome where like Kylie Minogue wasn't even famous until she made it in the UK and then suddenly we wanted to claim her to be our own. Yeah, yeah. You know, like this is like the truth. And unfortunately, until you make it overseas, people don't really respect you as much because we don't walk around here sort of, you know, we're all quite self-deprecating and we're not like boasting about our jobs. Whereas Mm. overseas, people are are hustling. They're hard workers. They're you know, they're really putting themselves out there. So I learned so much about just like taking every opportunity by the balls. Like mm. if the editor of Vogue is standing next to you, bloody introduce yourself to her. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Know? Once in a lifetime yeah. opportunity, you've got to take them. Yeah. Even though, you, you know, it's it's scary. It's not, you know, it's Massively. not super easy, you know, and you need to be able to work hard and stick at it and just put yourself forward. And it, God, it's scary. Like even going oh, up to someone, is, introducing yeah. yourself, God, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the amount of times I have been so scared to do that you know as a student back in the day and all of that but it it can lead to amazing opportunities I'm very excited to talk to you about so obviously you came back to Uh Australia and you worked for Cosmo here so tell me about the gig that you got so what was what role was it and how did you get that gig yeah so I guess as a like and it's all kind of feeds into the answer when I came home to like and I was in Geelong and I was like what am I going to do I'm in Geelong like I'm so far removed from fashion and Mm -hmm. it was at the time that blogging really began so I started my a blog called style by Denny that's how my insta handle was born Mm -hmm. and um the blog was video based because when I was in London which is a whole other story I was approached to do like um tv presenting in a fashion kind of sphere so when I came home I was like I'm gonna start a vlog because I need to get comfortable being in front of a camera yeah and I created these little videos every week and then that kind of gained a bit of a momentum then I ended up going to Paris and New York for two seasons in a row I'm kind of covering all the shows over there and whilst I was over there I was meeting a lot of Australian journalists because they were over there for the shows and I would I would interview them I would just stand outside and wait for um kind of editors to come out and get little sound bites and then slowly but surely I started getting invited to the shows and then I started doing like amazing designer. So I was building this online portfolio whilst I really didn't have much else going in terms of fashion like from Geelong. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at this time I was like, do you know what? The online thing is great, but I just constantly found myself really struggling with being that show pony blogger that everyone was at the time. I was like, I'd rather be behind the scenes. I want to be making content. I want to be 
at a magazine. Mm-hmm. So I packed my bags and moved to Sydney. And kind of a little bit foolishly, I guess, I thought that because I had, you know, British Vogue, Cosmo, whatever on my CV, that I would just walk into a mag job. That wasn't yeah. the case. <laughs> so um, <laughs> with my blog um, and also whilst also working in retail, I started building relationships in Sydney. And I went to the like Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week Australia and literally introduced myself to every magazine staff like that there was. Like yes. they all kind of go in groups. So I went up to, you know, the Owl Girls, the Harper's girls the Vogue girls whatever so I went up to the Cosmo Australia team and I said hey like this is my name I worked at Cosmo UK I love the brand so much do you guys have any jobs going and they were like we don't have any jobs going but we do have internships like do you want to come an intern and I was 27 at the time yeah right so I was like oh great interning again and I was like (laughs) yeah no worries let's do it and the intern program in Australia is much more accommodating than the one in in Europe you intern one day a week and it's pretty manageable. Then you can have, you know, a, a retail job or whatever on the side. So mm. I interned at Cosmo for six months okay. um, and nothing, nothing was really happening. There were no jobs going. In fact, I remember the fashion assistant was made redundant at the time. And I was like, okay, you better get out of here. And on the side, I started styling like Anna Heinrich and a few celebrities in Sydney. So I was kind of like right. making a bit of a making like a bit of reputation for myself. And I was like, you know what? I can do this on my own. I'm going to leave. But should a job ever come up, give me a call. Mm-hmm. So three months later, I got a call and they said, there's a job. It's a digital job. It's in video production. And we remembered that you had a video blog. So you should just apply for it because you already know how to edit videos. And I was like, great, I can do that. Oh. So literally my life changed in one hour. I went to Cosmo. I sat down in the editor's office who was Bronwyn McCann at the time. Yes, I do remember the- that. Oh, iconic. And at the end of the interview, she offered me the job. She was like, I never do this, but the job's yours. And I was like, amazing. Oh, my God. So, yeah, and I started the following week. So the role I was hired in was um, interactive producer and video editor. That was the role I started with. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. what roles did you uh, go to from there in Cosmo? Yeah, so I guess from very early on, I I built a great relationship with my editor. And not everyone... Like I like to say to everyone that you should really, I've always been really lucky in that I've always become almost like best friends with my boss and mm-hmm. not, that's not in a sucky way. It's more in like a mentor kind of way. They've always become like my mothers because I've spent most of my life living outside of home. So mm. or my career rather. So they've always really taken me under their wing and Bron really took me under her wing. And so I think two months in, she said, okay, you are very visual. Why don't you do picture editing as well as video editing? So what that means is that for the actual magazine and um, every picture that's in a magazine that's not shot by the magazine has to be sourced by a picture editor yeah. so celebrity pap images whatever so mm-hmm. i did that for about two months okay. alongside the um video stuff and then she was like darling you need to be in fashion it's obviously what you want to do so i was very lucky my first role was a style editor which Amazing. was basically shooting all of the like shopping pages all of the still life mm-hmm. um so for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's like shooting, you know, clothes on a white backdrop. It's then, you know, etched and it's like goes on a shopping page. And then slowly but surely, I was like, could I do start shooting models? And she was like, do a shoot, like show me the images. Let's see what happens. Oh. So I did a shoot, showed her the images, and it ended up being turned into a main fashion story, which is oh my god, um, in mag speak, like an eight page, you know, full full bleed images, like. Yeah, it's kind of what you aim for in life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, this is wild. Um, and then following that, there was lots of um, change. You know, I got my job 
at Cosmo at a time when magazines were really started starting to decline, I guess. Um, yeah. as much as to say. So there was a few redundancies and a few, you know, um, the team became a lot smaller. So then I was promoted to fashion editor, which was the role I held um, until the magazine closed. And okay. the fashion editor is basically the director of the fashion department. So it was basically my dream job. And I held that position for 10 months. Wow. And, it was and can I talk to you before, I guess, before the magazine folded? So yeah. what did kind of the role is, I guess, fashion editor and you know style editor mm-hmm. what did those kind of roles do for your career oh my god everything because well first of all people unfamiliar and I mean most of your readers probably live their lives on social media so which is why magazines are becoming less and less mm-hmm. but essentially as a fashion editor it's your role to really have your eyes and ears on the pulse of everything that's happening in fashion so everything from the top of the chamber like the top of the food chain all the runway shows in Europe, all the couture shows, you have to be across all of those. Then you kind of have to really be across what's happening in pop culture. Celebrity trends influence more of what we wear than anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like you've got to know what's happening on the street. You've got to know what's happening in music, in art. Um, yeah. You know, so then you dissect all of that and then seasonally you present to your reader what that version of that story is for them. So working at Cosmo was kind of a dream because I always say as much as I love high fashion, I'm a bit of a basic bitch from the area <laughs> at heart, right? So Same. We to, yeah. So we used to always say at Cosmo that our reader was Betty from Bankstown. So I knew what <laughs> Betty from Bankstown wanted to wear on a Saturday night because I was Betty from Bankstown. I grew yeah. up with Betty's from Bankstown. So yeah. it was kind of amazing because I, I got to kind of show like, okay, well, you know, this is the latest trend that's happening on the Celine runway, but this is how you're going to wear it from Zara and you're going to have change left over to buy yourself a Cosmopolitan kind of thing, you know? 100%. So it was, yeah, it was really, really beautiful. So that was, that was essentially my role. But what was so great about that was that it also really allowed me to keep building those relationships with the publicists and just the industry in itself of fashion in Australia. Australia. So yeah. it was really, and also it taught me, you know, about managing a team, managing my own interns, um, setting expectations for them and, you know, kind of learning how to upskill people, how to upskill myself. They were, you know, working on covers. We did, I got to do like six or seven covers while I was there. Great. We also shot a bridal magazine at the same time. We had Cosmo Bride. So I got yeah, to I remember that. into the bridal world. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was instrumental and became my identity. It was like, I was always Denny from Cosmo and yeah. it like, it's still in my bio on Instagram, like the former fashion editor of Cosmo. And so losing that was really, really yeah. hard. Can I also ask, what was the worst part of doing that, that job, I guess, at Cosmo? Um, yeah. Yeah. Because obviously there's a lot of good, but what was kind yeah. of the worst part? Um. Okay. Good question, babes. Okay. I would say, <laughs> I'll say two things. I mean, as I kind of have said, you know, with the decline of magazines, it also means the decline of budgets. So I had right. to learn to become very crafty with very small budgets. So that was challenging because, you know, bigger magazines have huge budgets that they're working with. So for me, I would have to execute a shoot on a shoestring budget. So that was often very challenging. Um, right. It's also really hard when you have a very clear vision of what you see. And if that's not always the same vision, like as your editor, for example, that can be a bit hard. Mm. Um, and then I, I would say the other thing that was really hard was the people management in terms of managing everyone's expectations of you because when you're the director of a department you have to make sure that the art team have everything on time that the copy editor has all the copy on time that your assistant's happy like because she's earning like not a lot of money and you know so you're that can be quite all-consuming yeah it's it sucks kind of uh it's a bit of a cutthroat industry Uh, what happened i guess when cosmo folded here in australia did you see it coming um 
Yes and no. So it was something that was always whispered about in our building right. um, in terms of magazines closing, not Cosmo specifically. We always were very quietly confident because globally Cosmo is the highest selling magazine brand in the world. Yeah, I was so very we surprised. Always, yeah, so we were, yeah, so we were always like, no, man, we'll be fine. But we could see on the inside what was happening and the changes of our team and all of that. So but what was a real kicker was two weeks before the redundancy, we had the, our Cosmo Woman of the Year awards, and I remember it was that. This, yeah, and it's the most that that day is always the most inspiring day on the Cosmo calendar because you're just so proud of what the brand does for women and equality and all these things. Yeah. So two weeks prior to that, we were like on cloud nine. We're like, oh my god, we have all these plans for you know 2019, and it's going to be whatever. And and then two weeks later, I remember that day. I'll remember that day for the rest of my life. I had a PR appointment at 9:30. I texted my boss and I said, I'm not going to be until 10. She said, no, you need to come in. And I said, okay. So I texted my assistant and I said, can you go to the PR appointment? And she said, no, apparently we all have to be in. And I was like, oh, here we go. So as soon as we got into the office oh. and as soon as the all staff meeting popped up in all of our calendars, we knew the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't even imagine how that would feel. <laughs> God, do you, do you want to know something? Tell me. So I actually, when I finished uni and everything, I was working for a magazine here in Brisbane and I actually applied for a job with Cosmo. I think it was in oh 2016. God. It was like a digital producer or journalist kind of role and um, I got shortlisted for it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what was really funny, I think it was leading up to that or after that, I was actually talking to one of the editors and I was um, kind of talking to them about uh, potential freelancing and submitting stories and I remember it's so funny it only just came to me before when you were talking about Cosmo but I remember one time I called just to talk to that editor and I remember one time you answered or there was something and it was like I spoke to you on the phone (laughs) very likely that that happened yeah I was like it just came to me then I'm like oh my god yeah Denny answered oh my god yeah we spoke yeah Yeah, because I didn't end up getting the job obviously otherwise you probably would have known me but um it's probably not probably not a bad thing. Yeah, but in a way, I'm like, I kind of am, I guess, glad in a way that I didn't, obviously, yeah. because it did fold, which is horrible because Cosmo was actually my life. And my dream growing up was to always work for Cosmo. When I was oh, in, in high school, yeah. I was like, I'm going to move to Sydney and I'm going to work yeah. for Cosmo. That is what I'm going to do. And I was so set on it. It was the dream. And the thing is, and it makes me really sad because when I look at the newsstands now, and it's so close to home because all the people, like, I know all the people who work at all of those magazines. So I walk, I walk past the newsstand. I'm so proud of my colleagues of what they're all doing at their titles, but I miss seeing Cosmo on the newsstand so much because I'm like, what is that girl reading now? Because the, the thing about Cosmo was that we were so much more than just a girly magazine. It's like there were topics there that, you know, people don't feel comfortable Googling the word rape or, um, mm. you know, abortion or domestic abuse but Mm. you could read those you could read those articles in a safe space and Cosmo was like everyone's big sister and so it just makes me really sad that the the future generation don't have that big sister because sure they've got the internet but the internet's a scary place it is it is and you don't know what you're going to find on there and like you know all of that stuff also can you tell me, do you think that there's still a space for magazines here in Australia? 100%. And I actually okay. think... Interesting. I've, I've thought for a long time that as we evolve as, as humanity and society 
humans are nostalgic by nature. So if you think about records, record players, and, um, you know, the way that we constantly look backwards in terms of fashion, it's, it's inevitable that that's going to start happening with the way that we consume media. I do think that people will want to go back to sitting at home with a magazine in their laps and switching off from technology. Like, you know, mm. when was the last time any of us spent less than, you know, six hours a day on our screens to yeah. some degree. So I do, I do think there's a huge place for them. I just think that the magazines of the world, not just Australia, have to be more clever with the way that they approach creating content and the way that they exist as brands. It has yes. to be a multi-dimensional platform. Mm. You know? I, I agree, and yeah. There's lots of magazines that do it really well. InStyle US do it amazingly. You know, like you have to be able to exist in every way that the reader is consuming you, not just in the hard copy way. Mm. I do. I do miss kind of waiting for the next issue kind of a Cosmo to come out I think it always came out on like a Monday yeah um, and I would always wait for that Monday Aww. I was just obsessed yeah that, <laughs> that's why I was I, so babe, keen yeah yeah, yeah. it's and it's uh, and you're not the only one and I think that was beautiful that was the silver lining the outpouring of love that we got that day I think it was 11 o'clock when it was announced online and the text messages the emails it was like it was overwhelming how how loved that magazine is um, and was by its readers Mm. that and and to be able to say like I always from a little kid I always said to my mum, one day I'm going to be in a history book. And I guess I was, like, yes. and I am, you know, because yes. Cosmo is that. It's history. It's mm. iconic. And the fact that I was the only male fashion editor at Cosmo Australia in their history was is something I'm incredibly proud of. And you should be, be proud. That's an incredible yeah. achievement, you know, and Thank that's you. something to be, yeah, very, very proud of. Yeah. And Pretty great. R.I.P. Cosmo. <laughs> I know. R.I.P. I'm so, I'm, I'm really so sad about it. It no, was my favourite yeah. magazine. <laughs> and obviously I wanted a job there back in the day so bad. Yeah, so it's sad. You. But with all of that, there comes a silver lining. So there what is. have you been doing since Cosmo? It's been a time. So after the, after the redundancy, I really was not sure of what to do next. As I said, Cosmo was part of my identity. So like, do you know what? It's time to go home. Sydney was, Sydney was, is quite an all-consuming city in a lot of mm. ways. And I just wanted to go home and, and just, press refresh and everything I've ever experienced in my life from promotions to breakups to everything I've never been at home with my mum so I was like I need to go home and just cry on the couch and be yes. in the comfort of my mother yes. so I flew home um, sold everything in Sydney packed my bags and I was like Do you know what I'm going to figure it out and I came home with the intention of really getting back into retail at a head office um, level because I really still one day want to be a designer so I was like okay you're going to come home you're going to go work for like I don't know a country road group or something and get back into that side of fashion and yeah. that is absolutely not what happens at all I came home I kind of took a few months off working in my mum and dad's cafe which was lovely Cute. Um, and yeah and so good for my soul and then slowly the kind of offers started pouring in and I guess it's one of those things right when you live in a kind of the power cities of the world you're I don't want to say competition but the people who are doing the same jobs as you there's far more of you in Geelong mm. there's like two stylists so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like um, you know, Denny is in town. Amazing. Denny's done, you know, a plethora of things in Europe and in Sydney. Yeah. Would you like to do this for us? Would you like? So it started off with working with the GT magazine, which is a, a supplement to the Geelong Advertiser, which is our local newspaper. Okay. And the GT magazine is kind of iconic in, in, in Geelong. It's like, um, like Stella, for example, that right. you get in in the Daily Telegraph or Herald Sun or whatever. Yeah. So it comes out every Saturday morning and everyone reads it religiously. Okay. And I've read it my whole life. So I started off contributing with them 
as a freelancer now, I get to choose my own clients. I get to choose the brands I work with. I get, you know, so this year I've done, I mean, in a quick summary, everything from shooting, um, you know, a bridal story for GTV Bride, doing a Bonds campaign, which is like was life-changing to do something with a brand that I've worn my whole life. Yeah. I just did a Christmas campaign with The Body Shop. I've been doing loads of celebrity styling and sort of did like the Brownlow, the Logies, the Dally M's. Um, I've done heaps of kind of social content creation. And I guess as my career has developed, so has, I guess, my own platform. So that's been really fun. Yes. Um, and I've got to dabble in lots of really cool projects that, you know, shooting um, beautiful campaigns for designers in Sydney, jewellery designers, bridal designers, just being able to kind of be the master of my own ship and Mm. also becoming like a small business owner, which I didn't really realise I was until about three weeks ago. And I was like doing my books and I was like, oh, wow, okay, you've actually done all right this year. And and you didn't even, that was not even your intention. So yeah, it's it's been really, really great. So now I'm pretty much, um, well, I I contribute full-time as the fashion editor to the GT magazine. And then I just do all the other freelance stuff that I do alongside that. Fantastic. Very busy. Very. It's pretty (laughs) much like there's never really, I don't actually remember the last time I had a day off, um, to be completely honest. And Mm -hmm. I've had a holiday in about a year and a half, but I get to do what I love every single day and I get to make a a relatively decent living out of it. So I feel incredibly lucky. Yes. Amazing. And, And it's so good you've kept doing that and you haven't really, like it was great that you took a break when you came home, but it's, you know, I guess you always finds your way into what you really love you know it always comes back or you always find a way back um, yeah you do and I think the you uh, yeah I was gonna sound a bit woo-woo or something no but I like, love I'm, it I'm a, I'm a big universe person and when I came home it was it was what I needed to do and it was like I lost my identity you know as I said Cosmo was my identity for four years and it, it was like a, a breakup or a divorce and it was like mm. what do I do and somehow the universe knew that at that time I needed to be home I needed to be with my family I needed to be reconnecting with friends and um, my high school and you know I, I got back to my roots I actually remember um, when I came home we moved house and I, we had to pack up our family house wow. and I was going through all my old sketchbooks and my, my mom still has tubs of everything I've ever made since I was 12 and I was like Denny this is in your heart mate you have to just keep at it it's gonna come like it will come and I started a manifestation mood board in Ooh, my bedroom yes. which yeah, which I've been manifesting since I was like seven without even realizing what manifesting is. But <laughs> I, I started this massive mood board and slowly but surely things started happening. And I was like, and I would walk into my mood board and go, oh my God, that just happened. Okay, great. Tick. Wow. Um, so it was very much a, been a year of like reinvention and, and being just Denny not yeah. Denny from insert brand name, you know? Yes, yeah, so true. And that's fantastic. Yeah. So you have your main account as well. So Style by Denny. So Style by Denny. Showcasing your work in your day-to-day yeah. life, which is great. Yeah. And I love your Insta stories. They're like <laughs> equally like professional and hilarious. So great balance there. But you also have another account, which I, I do. have found. So Denny After Dark. I Tell do. me what the idea was behind this and what does it mean for you to have this platform? Okay, so Denny After Dark actually started as a bit of a, um, it was actually my best friend Amanda who is one of the most inspiring entrepreneurs I know. Basically, I always had a love of a very like flamboyant campsite to fashion. When I moved to Sydney and really kind of became immersed in gay culture and drag culture specifically, I started to realise that I could actually express myself and it was okay. I could wear heels if I wanted to. I could wear makeup. I could drag myself up for a night 
that was accepted and celebrated. So it actually kind of really all stemmed from back in the Cosmo days, I used to do these pictures every Friday on my Instagram where I would wear a pair of heels from the fashion cupboard and with my like boy clothes and just put them on my desk. Like I'd put my feet up on my desk and those Friday shoe porn posts were always had the highest engagement. And I was like, oh, okay, people must like this more campsite to me cute Mm -hmm. so then it kept going then it was like I would go to music festivals or Halloween or whatever and I would you know just really just found my like stride in like expressing myself in this way and it was always what went off on my Instagram however there was a tipping point last year where I went to New Zealand for fashion week and I did this thing where I dressed like Kim Kardashian for a week um, and then wrote a story about it for Cosmo Online and it went viral And that's when I was like, wow, okay, this has like become a huge part of my identity. I can now actually go to like a fashion event in a pair of heels and people don't care and people like it, whatever. Yeah. But the problem with that is that it can also be a little bit polarizing working with specific clients or brands. And I've always kind of said, no, 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 this is who I am. If a brand wants to work with me, they have to be on board. Mm. But I, but in saying that also, I was I would look at myself by Denny Feed and the way that Instagram has changed, I guess, and become really a platform for business, in my opinion. Yeah. I was like, no, actually, maybe it is a little bit confronting to see me in like a super tight pair of bike shorts and you can see all my junk and I'm in a pair of heels. And maybe people don't want to see that if they're coming to my page and they want to book me so my best friend Amanda who's like a business savvy woman was like babe you're so stupid start another account <laughs> let it let it be your outlet for this and she's like you'll be surprised at the the jobs that will flow from that because obviously we live in a world now where like drag is like celebrated you know men can wear makeup all this stuff and I was like yeah. oh my god you're a genius so she actually came up with the name Denny after dark oh, I love and, it yeah and it was perfect Yes, um, I love it. Yeah, so it's been awesome because it's just allowed me to express myself in that way. Um, It's, uh, you know, growing quite slowly and organically. um, Mm -hmm. And it's nice. People love it. And and it is actually allowing me to kind of dabble in a space that is very different. Like Style by Denny is who I am at day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes sometimes Denny After Dark comes out during the day. But generally (laughs) it's reserved for After Dark. And it's kind of, it is what it is. And it's awesome. I love that. It's good that you can kind of have the two platforms. My persona. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, like I have, for instance, I have like a private account for just like my friends and family who know me super, super well. So that's where I do like my ridiculous stories or even though I do ridiculous stories on my main one, but like I can post whatever I want, you know, and I just go rogue and everyone's like, you know, everyone who's who's follows or whatever, you know, they know me so well. So I kind of like to break it up. So I guess for you, that's kind of the same thing, like breaking up, I guess, a couple of different sides of you um, and then people can follow if they want to totally and i think what's so great now about insta stories is that insta stories is where i really really show my personality my family mm-hmm. i have been doing these like daily lip sync videos every morning i love them people, oh, <laughs> i so, love like, them people like to like i'm like i want to i want people to see who i am because yeah i'm just a huge believer in that if you are always true to yourself the rest is done. Like you will get everywhere in life. And I think sometimes in our industry, people take themselves way too seriously. Yes. And oh I'm, my God. About, I'm just not about that. I'm like, listen, this is me dancing around in my boxes at home to Dua Lipa, like come and get it. And like, <laughs> but that's, that's who I am. At the yeah. same time, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be super professional when the body shop have booked me to be on set. But also funnily enough, that job came up because the body shop loved my Denny After Dark content. And they were like, this is the perfect synergy for us for this campaign. We want you to bring you know, your campness, like Christmas is all about being camp. So like, let's do it. So I just think that if you stay true to yourself, you can never really go wrong. And, um, but also if you want to make a business out of, like, I feel like what I do is so much 
so much of my business is me. So you have to be a little bit strategic. So that's where the way that I use Instagram now is very, it's very different to how I used to seven years ago, you know, like my grid is really all about my work and I do show snippets of me, but the stories is where I can have fun and dance in my undies occasionally. (laughs) Totally. I totally get you there. My stories, I go a bit rogue and, you know, it's just, if you're comfortable with yourself, you're comfortable with your personality and, you know, people love that stuff. And like, I actually did a post on my main feed the other day to kind of test something out and I just had all these I just do stupid videos here and there or complain about things, but like first world problem type go style things. Really You're going to have to go watch. But I did like six videos and I said, what Amber are you today? You know, oh, one to that. six. And so many yeah. people were commenting and saying, and I was like, okay, this is great. I might do it, you know, yeah. every fortnight or something yeah, as a bit of a laugh. Yeah. So oh God, I'm going to tune in and find out which Amber I am. <laughs> Please do comment and let yeah, me know. I will. <laughs> okay. So I want to jump into something a bit fun and festive yes. with you. So you have been an absolute angel and have come up with 12 Christmas and New Year's Eve or New Year's kind of styling oh, tips to share. So thank you. My um, pleasure. But this is really exciting because this is actually the first time that I'm not controlling the content and this is the first Ooh. time I don't know what's coming. I'm going to send you them, but I thought, no, let's get it. No, I, I kind of like it like that because, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a year now, crazy, but I've never actually... Congratulations. Oh, That's thank amazing. You. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a crazy ride, but it's been fantastic. You have such great content. I love Oh, thank interviews. you so There's much. So many that I love. Oh, thank you so much. That's so lovely. But I think this is really fun and it kind of um, gives me an opportunity to kind of step back and put the put the control in someone else's hands. So you are the first person to, totally. to take control it's here. Like, it's a nice way to wrap up the year, right? It is. I love it. I'm so excited for this. I'm really keen to hear what you've come up with. So um, if you want to get started, so okay. what do you have as your first tip for okay, us? Okay, guys, 12 tips of Christmas brought to you by Denny. Let's do it. Okay, so number one is get festive, right? So this is obviously like the time of year to be so jolly mm-hmm. um so i would say for me the first tip is really to embrace bright colors so obviously when you think of christmas red instantly comes to mind but i would be like try hot pink try emerald green just wear a color it's the time of year wear a bright yellow like Love. let's leave black at the back of our closet okay yes. so the second one is to go bold with metallics so i'm talking like sequins i'm talking gold silver it's really the time of year that you want to shine you know you're celebrating the end of the year so like let's be jolly and like sequins is such a huge trend at the moment anyway so it's like super easy for you to shop yeah um and you know it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg so all about the metallics mm-hmm. tip three um i've called all the trimmings so there's really never better and never a better time of year to embrace trimmings and what i mean by that are like details on clothing so like something with fringing like pom-poms even tinsel like yes. there's this amazing, yeah there's this amazing brand i love um but, uh, it's called her instagram is i makestagram and she makes like these tinsel jackets they're like so Cute. perfect for christmas oh my god yeah. love so embrace the trimmings number four I would say think of the occasion. So like if it's a Christmas work party, what's your work environment like? Like if you're if you work in a super corporate work environment, you might stick out like a sore thumb if you're wearing like your club dress to the Christmas party. So <laughs> my rule my rule of thumb is if you don't want your CEO to see you in this, would you wear it? If the answer is no, don't wear it. Right. Um yeah. Next up number 5, I'm saying embrace themes. So this is the best time to embrace 
themed parties. So like, for example, we had this awesome themed party at Cosmo for a few Christmas ago that was like Havana night. So we all wore like retro Miami shirts and yeah, it was such a vibe. So definitely like, you know, if it's like you want to wear a cheesy sweater with all your family at Christmas or well in Australia, maybe it's more like a cheesy Um, (laughs) t-shirt. Then do that, like embrace the theme. Number six is get yourself some shapewear. So I, I say this because this is obviously the time of year also where we eat more than ever. And like, so we should be. But, like, a little Spanx are always cute to, like, just keep everything sucked in. I'm all about a Spanx. So invest in some shapewear. Number seven, I would say, is to wear comfortable shoes. So, like, it's Christmas Day. It's 30 degrees. You've got, like, this cute day dress on, but you probably don't really need to be wearing nine-inch heels at Nana's for lunch. So wear comfy shoes. Go for a cute splat or a wedge um, so that come New Year's Eve, you're not, like, full of blisters. So true. Yes. That's the best. Yes. Okay. So number eight. I've, call, I've kind of called white on the night. So for Ooh. New Year's Eve this year, yes. So for New Year's Eve this year, I really think we should all be wearing white because it's the start of a new decade. White represents new beginnings. And in so many ways, I feel like that's the way that we should be starting the new decade. It's like love a, a it. kind of rebirth. So I'll be wearing white on December 31st Cute. this year. I love that. Yep. yep. And number nine, it's all about accessories. So like jazzy earrings, like the kind that like Cath Day Night would wear. Like even <laughs> the candy canes in your ears, like this is the time of year to do it if you want to wear reindeer ears like get those on honey yeah it's the only time of year you get to really embrace being kitsch and kind of embracing your inner child so Love like it. all about it and accessories are the perfect way to do that mm-hmm. like glitter up your shoes glitter up your heels let's like get some <laughs> pom-poms on your shoes number 10 is pool parties that's what you do kind of this time of year especially in australia mm-hmm. so you want to get like a fab swimsuit and this season is very much all about the return of the bikini so yes. we were having like a one-piece moment last year but i I feel like with like the kind of this resurgence of like the early millennium and the way that like Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian used to wear like string bikinis, that's the vibe for the year this season. Nice. So choose a bright color, like a neon pink or even like a liquid gold moment is a vibe. Cute. Um, and I feel like if you just go on like Kylie Jenner's Instagram, you'll get all the info you need. Yes, very true. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number 11 is wear less makeup. Um, And I'm serious about this because for anyone who follows me, they know that I love a full face of glam, like nothing more than like, there's nothing more I love. However, with warmer weather and like, obviously just like the beach vibe in the air, I really love nothing more than just like a sun-kissed face. All you Mm. need is like a lick of moisturizer, maybe a lip um, and then breathe and like get some sea salt in your hair and like from the actual ocean, like not from a bottle. Yes. And And also, can I just say with the moisturizer, also mix it with SPF or make sure it has SPF. Make sure it has SPF in there. If you're not, you know, if you're really sun cautious, just keep your tan up with our friend Al Ferguson's Al Effect. It's like the best self tan ever. Like just be sun smart, you know, yeah. And and just wear less makeup is my uh, tip. Yeah. And then lastly, the last one's a bit of a funny one. My tip number 12 is to find you the biggest pair of sunglasses possible because come January 1, we will all be hung (laughs) AF. And you cannot start a new decade looking anything less than Chris Jenner glam. Like that that is my mood for twenty twenty. Like if it's not of a Chris Jenner standard, I'm not about it. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Did you like so that? true. That I was, did. This was actually so fun. This actually took me back to my like journalistic roots. Oh, like my kind of it. Yeah, this is like what we used to do at like work. Like yes. come up with 
few things like this. I really oh, enjoyed it. I'm Thanks so glad. Chat. No, this was really good because I had no idea what was coming. So thank you. Those are actually really, really handy tips. And, you know, um, it's the best kind of season to get a little bit silly, have a little bit of fun with totally. your outfits. And, totally. you know, just enjoy it. So also, thank you so much for that. I wanted to wrap things up just um, yes. with what you're looking forward to for next year. And then I'll jump into some um, a few random questions for you to end things. Yeah, I think what I'm looking most what I'm most looking forward to for 2020 is just really growing my business as a stylist, as, as like sort of the Denny enterprise, I guess, if it were. So what I found that this year is I've had such an awesome fluke of opportunities that have, a lot of the jobs that have come to me this year have been through relationships and referrals that I've built, but I haven't had a huge amount of time to focus on actual work and strategy. So I want to get really nitty gritty in January and like set goals and like work towards um just building the business and um hiring like an assistant and just like really taking myself seriously mm-hmm. um as a business owner as opposed to just going oh yeah you're just a freelancer like winging it week by week like it's mm-hmm. like no let's like let's Chris Jenner up 100 <laughs> percent all that motivation I'm loving it Normani would be shaking she would be shaking <laughs> <laughs> and a few random questions for you if I may yeah, um, so number one would you rather always wear Crocs or always wear like a southern cross on every piece of clothing that you wear crocs as in crocs (laughs) and the southern cross as in the southern cross (laughs) wow yes okay Okay, do you know what i'm gonna say the southern cross i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna embrace it we can do that honey then i can wear cute shoes to make up for it yes that's very like a very queenslander question of me i cannot with the crocs (laughs) They're never acceptable unless you're a chef who works in a kitchen. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I can't get around them. Never going to happen. No. Um, no. So funny. And number <laughs> two, if you could stay one age forever, what would it be and why? Oh, babes, you're really killing it with the questions today. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to say 30 because 30 was a really pivotal moment for me. I'm almost 32. Mm-hmm. Um, and 30 was when I really grew comfortable into my own skin as as a man, as a gay man, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an ethnic Australian, like all of those things. I just, I, 30 was when I fell in love with Denny and, and his body, no matter what shape or size it was or how many times he went to the gym that week. So 30 was really special. And um, yeah, I think 30 was my magic year. Oh, I love that. That's a lovely yeah. answer. Yeah. And the final question I have for you is, would you rather dress like you're in the 80s, like forever, but I mean like uh-huh. leg warmers style, uh-huh. like crazy, or dress like you're 80 forever? Dress like I'm 80 forever. Wow. Okay. Do you know what? I'm going, but dress like I'm 80 as in how Denny would dress when he's 80, right? Not like... <laughs> Because here's the thing, I, I'm going to say I would rather dress like I am 80 forever because I'm a firm believer that people's style gets better with age. Oh, so I would yes. like to imagine that when I'm 80, I will be looking like chic AF all the time 100%. and like giving you very like Iris Apple vibes. Oh, yeah. She's one of my style icons. Amazing. Um, yes. Yeah. So I'm going to say that. I love that. And you know, what's really um, funny about your answer is my grandma, she was like in her 80s and she was the most stylish person ever. She 100%. looked amazing Every single time 100%. I saw her. Yeah, because the I older totally you agree. get, you know what suits you. You stop playing around with dumb trends just because everyone else is doing it. You just dress for you. You dress for your body. And you also invest in really quality pieces. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm all about it. Bring on 80. Yeah, 80 and you just don't really, you don't really care what anyone thinks of that age, right? 100%. Like, no, like zero excuse. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> going to be the most savage yeah. grandpa and grandma, like 100%. Yes. Yeah. We'll be like, yes, granny. Yes. Living that best life. <laughs> 
<laughs> totally. Denny, you have been so fabulous. Thank you so oh, much for coming you've on. Been a delight. Thank oh, you. Thank you. And this keep up great. the good work. Oh. I really honestly mean it. Podcast of the new magazines. And like oh, thank you know, you. You, you you might not have got your job at Cosmo, but you are reaching just as many people, honey, and you're doing it on your oh, terms. You're doing so it under sweet. your own name. So go you. Thank you. That's so Pleasure. sweet. Talk to you soon and I can't wait Talk to, to see what you do next. I'm very excited for you. Thank you, Gorgie. Bye bye. Bye.